0: Hello and welcome to the third in our Expertise in Audio podcast series. Today we're looking at uh, everything from business operations to customer relationships. What changes we are likely to expect from insurers over the next ah, three years. So kind of looking in the kind of uh, shorter term rather than too much future scoping. So uh, taking aside the tremendous amount of disruption caused by the coronavirus pandemic presently, insurers have long been grappling with challenges from working practices and procedures, from operation remotely to enhancing distribution of products, challenges that are likely to decide the winners and the losers, not only in the long term, but the shorter term too, which is what we said at the start. We're gonna look in this podcast at what's gonna happen over the next kind of three years. And to help me look, uh, look at what the future of insurance might look like, Today, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Stephanie Ogden, the Director of Distribution at HDI Global, and Marty Milner, the Claims Director at LV. Welcome, both of you.
1: Hi, Jonathan. Hiya.
0: Hiya. Hi, thank you. So, we're going to split this up into two sections. First of all, we're going to look at business operations. And uh, first of all, I mean, we have to start with the uh, the subject du jour, coronavirus. Can I just ask, do you think this whole pandemic has called into question many facets? Of the way insurance work and operate and how do you say insurers have adapted to the new world of working i'll come to you first on this stephanie
1: yeah so uh interesting and certainly relevant for, for right now uh i suppose i've been quite surprised um just how well certainly my business HCI have adapted technology seems to be working and um all employers are able to work from home um, so, in terms of to take your point, the operational perspective, actually, I think we've all been very pleasantly surprised. Um, and you know, to go with that, the training that's on offered, uh, on offer, and also the working from home tips—they're uh, very, it's plentiful, to be honest, across the whole industry. And social media, I think, particularly, ha- has taken off. But I suppose what's perhaps more interesting uh, and very pertinent right now is perhaps then to take your point when you start looking externally and how we're managing the customer customer experience and the customer relationship.
2: Martin? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with uh, Stephanie there. I think um, certainly from our perspective uh, at LV, we had uh, probably about 300 or so people working from home anyway, uh, most of those oh. being sort of frontline customer-facing uh, people, so that that gave us a bit of a sort of template, really, to scale up from. So um, that I, I think it gives us some confidence that uh, you know, whilst three hundred sounds a lot, it's only it's less than ten percent of our current workforce. But scaling it up to have the majority of people working from home now um, isn't such a frightening thought as we perhaps uh, would have imagined it to have been, uh, and adapting around that. Um, is challenging uh how do you look after people's well-being as stephanie said there you know there are lots of things you can do and lots of resources out there that we're we're giving to our our people to help support them during this time but it is a challenge uh, you don't you can't sort of you know put an arm around their shoulder or, or, or you know look, you know sort of have that physical kind of relationship to uh, to support people in a slightly different way doing it uh, at distance remote or over video or over a telephone call doesn't quite have the same uh, uh, impacts. But um, relatively speaking, it, it's worked very, very well. Um, I think it's also uh, a time where we've reflected on what our customers need and what they really want and perhaps are listening a bit better to our customers as well. Um, you know, they're, they're perhaps communicating with us and um, being clearer because I guess for many vulnerable customers in particular, and we ensure quite a lot of the 1.5 million people that are shielded at the moment. Um, These are really difficult times, and uh, it's given us the opportunity perhaps to to listen to our customers a bit better uh, and service their needs uh, in a more personal way, uh, which can't be a bad thing. Uh, And I hope that's something that we've preserved um, post-lockdown too. And finally, I think um, we have appreciated our suppliers uh, a lot more um our suppliers are the ones that are often out in the um you know, physically contacting our customers or, or the property or the building or the um cars whatever it is that they're, they're trying to um repair or reinstate and doing so in a way that you know creates that contact within people's lives uh they're the ones that are going out still doing these things uh, and particularly for us, we, we ensure, for example, the Royal College of Nursing, 450,000 frontline uh, carers. You know, we, we have a real duty to keep those people, those heroes on the road. Uh, if they break down or if they're involved in an accident or they have a problem at home, you know, we, we have to be there for these people. And by doing so, we're asking our suppliers to go a step further, perhaps. Um, and take some some uh, you know risks basically to, to help us do that. So we really, I think, uh, are, are, a lot of gratitude to our supply chain for for pulling through during this time.
0: So I mean, reflecting on both you said there about the that you know re- remote working has actually been quite successful for both your businesses. Do you think it will be here to stay, or do you think that you know come lockdown, we need everyone will be chomping at a bit to get back in the office uh, and go back to how we used to work? and um, what do you think martin uh
2: i, I think we'll t- definitely take some lessons from this um i think there will definitely be a lot of people that you know have had enough of this sort of solitary confinement if you like working from home um insurance is a fairly gregarious sort of an industry so no doubt there will be that um you know, large proportion of people that want to get back into the office enjoy the social side of things that uh, you get from from working in a team um, in, in a physical sense. Um, I think though, a lot of the other things that we do, you does know, draw into question the amount of time and energy we spend in traveling to meetings, how we're actually sort of conducting our business life. Um, I think that has to be something that, that changes. Um, will we be seeing crowded tube trains and, and crowded trains going to London so much? Uh, I hope not, I think we will be able to, create more of a work-life balance around the home uh, and workspace. Um, so I, that sort of blended approach I think is more likely to be seen reduction in travel reduction hopefully in face-to-face meetings but also preserving what's good you know we do need that cultural side of insurance our businesses run on a particular style and culture which is perhaps less easy to, to create if you're, everybody's working from from home so you do need that core cultural kind of uh, coming together to to drive that business uh, and, and take you towards that sort of vision. Stephanie,
1: um, yeah, I think it's I think undoubtedly we're going to see changes in the future, uh, and I personally am quite excited about what what they could be. Um, to to take what Martin says, absolutely, it's about preserving what's been good out of this, and I'm sure you'll have two camps so to speak you'll have those that are chomping at the bit to get back and then you'll probably have those that are actually probably quite sad to see this period end because what it's given a good time to do is reflect and that time that has ordinarily been spent commuting um has now been possibly been able to be used more effectively either that's in work or um doing things that people have passions about um, one of the things that we're talking about now at the moment is, is about what that work-life balance is. And what does flexible working mean? Because I think it's quite often badged that, you know, to be f- to have a flexible working um, culture is as simple as saying something like I work every Fridays at home. But that's sim- that's not flexible working. Flexible working is about adapting your life and around what you're doing in work whether that's for example if you if you have kids being able to do a nursery run twice a week and making up the hours in a different way um, and i think it's just gonna it's gonna be really interesting because i think one, one of the things that i have i've been talking about quite a lot internally particularly as we are um we are in the london market um person with, with hdi and that restaurant lead hall market culture what will that do because no longer have for the past five weeks have we been doing any business in a restaurant or in a in a bar and I'm really excited about that change if I'm honest I think it's been slow and I, I think it has been evolving and slowly changing but actually um this is this is fast forwarded it um and so to, to Martin's point around the social side and the cultural aspect, um, that for me um, is what's going to be a big could be a big significant change.
0: So I mean, taking our board, Stephanie, I know obviously we have many people working remotely. How can companies ensure that those employees are working reasonable hours without detrimental effects on their well being? You know that there is a shut off for the employees.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, it's really important, um, and it's something that I've spoken about quite a lot with my team. Um, particularly if you haven't got um, the luxury of having a separate workspace that you can carve out within your home, um, I think it's a lot easier. That you know, if you have a study, for example, at the end of each day, you can um, leave the, you can walk out of your study, close the door, and put all your equipment aside. But if you if you don't have that luxury it, it does make it really important so i think one of the ways that you can do that for your employees for example is by not sending emails um, outside of working hours um, and whilst that's easy to say whether you're whether we're in this current environment or not um, actually now it becomes so much more tempting to be able to open up your laptop or open up your phone and check what emails have come in over the weekend or overnight or whatever, when actually, because because your work is now your home environment, the two are very much merged together. Um, so there's quite a lot of self-discipline, I think, that's actually needed. And one of the things that I've said to my team is at the end of the day, when you've done your hours, or even if during the middle of the day, for example, you need a bit of space and, um, and need to leave, leave the equipment, you we need to build in that flexibility and have a clear understanding that that is okay it is okay to um shut down your equipment and take yourself off for a bit because these environments colliding it's it can it could be quite dangerous
0: martin uh, how, how, are you, how are you coping with this at lv
2: yeah i think that's a really uh a, a really accurate description that um, stephanie put out there um I think for us we've seen an increase in anxiety for our people um, over many many kind of issues so there's the obvious ones you know about the fear of catching uh, the virus and uh, what can we do to minimise potentially that risk um, how do we support people financially during this time so um, you know we've taken decision not to furlough anyone and even if you are a- unable to work at home we still will be paying you in full, um, and just making certain that kind of you know, Maslow's laws basically are as attended to. So, you know, that those basic sort of survival things around security, having a roof over your head financially, uh, making sure your family is um, safe. They, those sort of basic um, concerns people would have, we, we dealt with those fairly early. Uh, we then have the sort of secondary sort of layer of concerns. Um, that we we deal with, how how are people going to be, as Stephanie said about working from home over a six or eight or 12 week period, um, or or not being able to work from home during that time. How do we take care of people's mental health, physical health, and also make certain that they still feel part of something, which I think is really important during this time. Um, People are very used to working in teams and being part of a team, uh, which can be fun, it can be demanding but it's, it's very much sort of part of our culture. So trying to recreate that, uh, giving people tips, tools, and resources to do that, um, you know, it's been really important and a major sort of part of what we've, we've done when we've set people up at home.
0: So, Martin, I mean, how do insurers ensure that they can offer acces- ac- accessibility to customers out, putting that added pressure on those employees?
2: Uh, yeah, so I think the uh, pressure that, People uh, are feeling. Um, you know, we, for example, given them breathing exercises, how to sort of take as uh, Stephanie said, maybe just five minutes out if they can. If they have a garden or something like that, just you know, just go outside maybe and just just sort of relax, undertake some sort of breathing exercises, and just you know, re center themselves and come back into uh, in, into work after a short break. And make certain people are taking breaks. Um, cr- trying to sort of give them some hints and tips around some exercises that they can take outside if they can um, and generally sort of understand that you know, there is pressure at this moment. We, the, <coughs> you know, there's a set of processes and procedures that people follow most of the time and in this situation people have to be more creative. Um, it isn't as easy to get a supplier to go and do something Uh, because of the restrictions that the suppliers are under it isn't a guarantee that something may arrive on a certain date or that there's availability of it there's parts materials and product uh, challenges uh, in the supply chain so meeting customers needs uh, and each customer is different what's important to them what's essential to them or inessential, is is something that we our people have to grapple with uh, and giving them the empowerment flexibility to, to manage within their knowledge and judgment is, is <clears throat> something we've had to kind of broaden. Um, making people a hostage process during this time is something that, uh, in a controlling sense, is, is not the right thing. So we've given people more latitude and more empowerment, basically, to meet our customers' needs, recognising that you know, the needs that we would normally meet um, are different, and the way that we have to meet those needs uh, is not going to be the same. And I think that's a really strong lesson to take post lockdown because it nothing's gone wrong things haven't sort of um uh, gone outside of our risk appetite we haven't seen uh, complaints um, <clears throat> in fact the opposite we've seen our net promoter scores rise and the amount of complaints fall and that is a consequence as i say of just allowing people that opportunity to do things that <clears throat> in the way that they think would work in this situation so perhaps that gives us an opportunity post lockdown to reduce those sort of controls and reduce those sort of tight processes and just allow people a little bit more empowerment to make the right calls. And I think that'd be a key thing to come out to uh, once we we come out the other side. Stephanie?
1: Uh, Yes, I I think there's there's two points there. Firstly, the pressure on employees point. Um, So from our perspective, we are on that. Point where we're encouraging the once a day exercise allowance. So, for example, one of the things that we're doing is we're having our our hours walking allowance or hours exercise. We spend it on the phone with each other and we make it a much more sociable um, call as opposed to um, an objectives based work call. And I just think that helps to break up the day a bit. Um, but in terms of the accessibility point, I think. Martin makes a good point around what the expectations of our customers are during this time. Uh, And I think we will see in the future how there will be a change in um, what our customers expect expect from us. Um, And I'm not necessarily saying that there will be a uh, a greater acceptance of um, poor service, but the service that they expect will be different. And where this will be interesting from an employee perspective is I mean, I work in the large corporate space where we don't have necessarily the expectations of that 24 hour, 24 7 access requirement from customers. But equally, what will be interesting is when employees and the teams say want to change their working hours and does nine to five what makes that standard? What makes that standard working day? And actually, what if 6am till 2pm two, 2 p.m. becomes more standard for some people? And how that then reflects on what service you offer to your, to your customers um, and their access to you as an insurer, that, that for me, I think, could be quite an interesting conversation in the future.
2: Yeah I think I really agree with you on that Stephanie I think also the mediums the media that they choose to have that access will be perhaps different certainly over the last few weeks I think we were all whilst we have been savvy digital users in the past a lot of people that perhaps haven't needed or wanted to uh, to to manage their affairs digitally are now having to and over the last few weeks and going forward people have become even more comfortable with doing that, I think. So I think there'll be a paradigm shift. Essentially, our our customers will want and wish to to use digital channels far more than perhaps they have uh, in February this year. So uh, I I guess insurers are going to have to run really quickly to up their game in a sense of the digital channels that they offer our customers today uh, and the opportunities perhaps there are not necessary for, for for startups or insure techs perhaps, but um, but for existing insurers really to build on some of the gains they've made over the last few years, but put that very much front and centre, I think, of strategies going forward, uh, because our customers will demand that. And I think also pressures which are, are likely to, to bear, I think, over the next year or two, will, will drive more pressure on expense bases, I think, for most insurers. So. Um, I really see that paradigm shift being an enabler, really, to take insurers forward in the digital space, and at the same time improve uh, our our expense bases too.
0: So it's a, it's a bit of a weighty question, Martin. But what do you think the coronavirus has shown us about leadership in insurance?
2: Um, I think it's an interesting question. That um, there's lots of different sort of areas where I think the industry has come together really, really well. So. For example, um, there's a PI protocol that the ABI insurers, Aperl, Mass, and uh, ASCO worked on to create a a good harmony around how we can cope uh, and reduce the sort of um, usual sort of. Uh, It's almost like people have come out of the trenches in the war and started playing football in in no man's land. Everybody's come together, put down arms and and, and absolutely collaborated day one to create a really positive way of working. Uh, Insurers also around how they manage subrogation have taken out the sort of aggressive nature of it, recognising where we are at the moment and sort of suspended hostilities as well. And we've also, I think, done a very good job in in preserving our service, as I say, and, and, and I know we're not alone. Most insurers have stood up a really positive level of service. Um, I think where perhaps there is this sort of question mark still is around some of the um, stories that perhaps one or two players have put out there, uh, and also those in the in the states around, uh, particularly in car insurance. You know, there's this huge amount of money allegedly that uh, insurers are saving during this time that should be given back to customers. It's a really difficult one because it's such a short period of time. Policies are annual and uh, there are lots of downsides too. We've only just recently come out of two horrendous storms in February. Uh, investment markets are down and there's a lot of uncertainty once we come out of uh, lockdown as to what might happen. Uh, we know, for example, in Wuhan, there was a 60% rise in claims frequencies. People came out of lockdown and just returned to the roads and wanted you know the freedom and uh, and just to sort of get on with their lives. Uh, we've also got the prospect of a very much disrupted supply chain for very many more months, uh, and the ability for and the cost associated with repairing cars or homes or properties um, is 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 going to be a much more expensive one than we would have uh, experienced pre-lockdown. So there's lots of uncertainties, but managing that sort of uh, dialogue with customers is a difficult one um, and I guess we, we need to come together better as an industry to explain what we have been doing and what we will do in the future and some of the challenges that we're, we're meeting.
0: So Stephanie you know again looking ahead uh, a few years in the future and do, do, how do you think leaders and managers will adapt to that their management practice and styles as, as new younger more digitally astute work, uh, workers come come to the fore something that again, might have been exacerbated by the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic?
1: Um, So firstly, they have to to adapt. We have uh, an industry, I think, which is predominantly the leaders are of one certain demographic. And so I think what would be really interesting now is how people have to adapt and be more willing to accept a different type of working environment. So it is about that the the younger generation expecting a lot quicker, faster communication. So um via the, via WhatsApp for example, our group WhatsApp um is incredibly um lively. Um, and you know, managers are going to have to accept that that's that quicker engagement is going to be required. Um, also, I think what's quite interesting is how appearance will change. So, you know, from a, from a perspective of in the, in the city, you, you have, well, you, you, you generally have companies offering on, on a Friday, dress down Fridays. Um, but actually, we've now just gone through five weeks and however long in the future to, yet to go where none of us would have put on suits or smart attire and will be on video calls without those suits and ties on and, and you had that almost initial shock at the beginning where you saw someone sat there with a hoodie on and um, I've even got someone in my team that wears a cap for his um, backwards for their video calls and so you're going to have then this change backwards and I think that a lot of people are going to we're going to have that sort of it's, it sounds like a strange thing to say but for me I think it's going to be quite interesting it, from a perspective of that changing appearance and generally the 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 leaders in our industry at the moment expect a certain um dress style and will that change i think it probably will
0: martin have you got have you got your back cap on backwards at the moment
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, i'm wearing just t-shirt and uh jeans to be fair but um so yeah why, then, martin? <laughs> <If you're
1: laughs> curious, why martin do you therefore feel if you do do this you might not be in this in this place but do people then feel that if they leave the house they have to wear a suit and a tie
2: no i mean we to be fair we we operate at that policy anyway so you know you bring yourself to work basically is all we ask we there isn't there are some you know, m- very low level kind of dress code kind of requirements but Nobody comes to work in the seat. Um, we have five days a week or seven days a week dressed down, basically. so we we've we were already made made that change some time ago. but but yeah, going to meetings in London or board meetings, things like that, people still still feel a need to conform, really, I suppose. and uh, that that um, I think is an interesting question whether people will behave differently or whether people feel safe and comfortable um not uh not dressing in that way going forward, I think it's a really good question um and I think you're right about the demands of our people, the communication style, the sort of trying to make that more relevant for people over the, the last few weeks absolutely everybody's been using social media to communicate and that's that's created a bit of a buzz I mean you do get a lot of fun stuff in there as well it's not just business stuff obviously but um that yeah, that's a really nice thing that's come out of this i think and hopefully people will preserve those those groups and, and correct create that sort of bond i guess uh, that comes out of this uh, i think also our, our people have been perhaps more questioning over the last few weeks as well um a little, little bit more interactive in a, in a sense of um not not just sort of um asking uh questions which are sort of uh the sort of standard questions but but really interesting questions and, and thought-provoking questions uh and that's sort of engagement with our people over the last few weeks again i think is something that you know, behaviorally we need to kind of cherish really how do we make certain that that isn't something that we lose once we come out of this you know that sort of desire for our people to to prompt us and to to challenge us and to Provide good ideas and thoughts around how we deal with the current situation. There's been a real sort of momentum and um, energy around this. It's, it's not just been a sort of wait to be told and, and uh, handed down sort of command and control styled solutions. So I think that's been really positive. Um, you know, and more of that we can kind of um, preserve going forward, I think the better we'll be.
0: Do you think, Martin, in you know, because I love to talk about insurance being a, you know, there's a people business and this this term personal touch um, do you think that the critical mass of customers always want a personal touch to some extent in the insurance interaction they won't be happy just to do anything completely digital?
2: Uh, I think that that definitely depends on the type of claim Um, you know during the last few weeks we've obviously had in our travel insurance side of our business for example uh, you know absolute need to be as personal as possible where people are stranded abroad we're trying to get people back from all corners of the world, uh, trying to support them doing that. You, you absolutely need to have that empathetic conversation that you know, calms their fears, makes them feel secure in the knowledge and trust that us, that we will take care of them. So that sort of environment, absolutely. But, you know, if you've got something else, something very relatively straightforward, a mobile phone claim or uh, you've damaged your TV or something like that. Uh, there's no need perhaps for that same level of uh, of kind of crisis management, if you like. So I think it would be very much horses for courses there again. For some people, you know, the loss of their mobile phone is a massive thing. So for, for some people, they want to uh, have that sort of personal engagement, particularly people perhaps that haven't made a claim before or aren't used to making a claim.
1: Stephanie. Yeah, so I, th- I, I see that it will absolutely increase. Um... I think that we we got quite a bit of feedback earlier on during this that their, their clients were hearing from their insurer but not necessarily hear, speaking to somebody or somebody really ph- picking up the phone to really understand what their needs were during this point and any specific questions that they had. Um, so... Our, for our perspective in, in the global corporate space, absolutely, I think the personal engagement will will remain, um, but it will also go up because they, you know, when some of our clients are making a considerable purchase with their insurance um, and they need the personal engagement to properly understand it and uh, agree a plan with us. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't see it decreasing at all.
0: And to that point, Stephanie, I mean, what do you think? would be, how do you think the customers, what will they demand of insurance companies in the future in terms of, you know, uh, sorting out their kind of, you know, their risk management
1: requirements? Um, Better understanding, firstly. So I think it's, I think customers will demand that their insurers understand their business and um, aren't just taking a generic approach. So um, I think they will also expect, very i think they will expect better technology so um, to take martin's perspective i think that they will um for example we're looking at doing surveys remotely um the use of technology to help them do their business so you've got the risk advice there but then you've also got the support from and technology to help them as well um yeah i think their expectations will continue to increase
2: martin Undoubtedly, I think this will absolutely create a sort of fault line in customer expectations going forward. I think we will have a, a real need to meet that sort of step change of expectation, I think, from customers going forward to how they will experience the world going forward is not going to be the same. And I think for us uh, as insurers, I think it's a question of making certain that as Stephanie was saying earlier that there's a, a degree of understanding, perhaps that wasn't present around what people are entitled to and what they're covered for. <clears throat> but also, I think there will be a, uh, a recognition that this is, if you can take the financial crisis of 2008-9, that, that perhaps wasn't uh, the same type of crisis as we're in today. But the pandemic and the financial crisis, two big, big seismic events in the last um, 10 years what What's the next one going to be? Is it going to be some sort of cyber event or or, or uh, climate related events? more probably? Uh, and how are we going to manage that uh, with our customers? Uh, and what are our customers thinking? My, my view is probably they're going there' be a kind of flight to, to quality. Um, I think people may see brands out there that potentially they will trust more uh, and would perceive as is better quality uh and would that safety of of a flight to quality versus price i think might be a dynamic going forward where people understand their cover more understand who they are choosing as a as an insurer uh, and make certain they've got the right quality of product and the right quality and trust of a particular insurer as perhaps just being driven by price so i think these types of events will will make people think about how they and where they choose to 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 pay their premiums
0: and Steffi, kind of continuing what Martin has said do you think there will be a dem- demographic change in terms of people buying insurance so do you think say a, a person who's a, a, a younger person who's perhaps just starting out in business with a startup will they see insurance as a viable purchase or an important purchase
1: um so I think we're going to increasingly live um in this fail fast environment so um you know lots of startups with very few to succeed um and given what we're going to see with the the economy we're likely to experience a downturn now if i'm really honest i don't think that insurance is going to be top on the startup's agenda i mean obviously the um the absolute necessities from a statutory perspective um that that will be, but I I don't think when you look at a bank balance of some of these startups, the luxury of some of our insurance cover buying those products will be on there. Um, and and to be honest, I think the insurance industry needs to take some responsibility for that because I don't think our marketing is probably good enough, and I don't think we, as an industry, probably strong enough at educating potential and prospective cu- customers about what the different products could offer them um, i think it's you know I, i've just recruited someone from the banking industry um and his feedback on how on the marketing from an insurance perspective um is pretty poor um so if you're sat there as a new startup i think it's pretty i think it's quite difficult to really understand whether insurance is a necessity with the exception of perhaps el insurance um and really what what it will protect them of in the event of the future and i think i think we as an industry probably need to address that or well, we don't probably we need to
0: so again and something else that's been talked about is ultimately having more touch points during the year um in terms of um you know buying an insurance policy so not just the the, the purchase and the renewal and or, or an mta or a claim but other touch points do you think as the insurance the insurance you can learn from other other sectors about this about having more touch points martin
2: yeah i don't i don't uh, disagree i think they have to be relevant to your customer though um otherwise there would just be another sort of unwanted email in your inbox or communication that you could do without so i think it's just trying to understand how you can bring value to that relationship with your customer so yeah you know, so there's going to be a potential weather event in your area you know things like that where you can warn the customers that 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 is potentially coming and to take particular action or how you can sort of protect customers with simple and easy tips around cyber risk or whatever it is but as, as long as you understand what you uh, Customers' kind of needs are, or concerns, or anxieties are, and make certain you provide some value in any communication you bring. If it is just a blanket kind of a approach um, to, to sort of spam everybody's inboxes, that 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 has a negative effect, I think. So, how can you bring value to that individual in a personalised way is, is something that we need to perhaps get better at.
0: Stephanie.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That comes back to the point that we've been. Speaking about in terms of the the blanket approach and what the role of insurance is in the future, I think will change. So um, we already see it already in terms of buying insurance when you actually need it, as opposed to these annual policies. Um, and actually, is your insurance is your insurance premium based on when you need the insurance, as opposed to just covering you for three hundred and sixty five days a year? Um, that's when I think the the more creative and innovative side of our industry will will see some great successes in the future.
0: I know at the, the start we mentioned about the fact that we were going to look in, in the near future, um, to kind of like to 2023, but if I was to ask you to look into your crystal balls even further uh, and perhaps taking the, the implications and ramifications of COVID-19 on board, can I just ask what, what what will be the major concerns for insurers in the fallout of the crisis and, and how do you think and what will need to be done to recover from this? I'll come to you, Stephanie. I know this is a quite a big question, but there you go. I'll put you on the spot.
1: Okay. So I, I think, you know, I'm trying not to uh, um, say something I've already said, but I really think the big fallout will be customers not having clarity over what they've purchased and what is and isn't covered. So I think um, in order to recover from that, I think we as insurers have a real duty to ensure that we have, we're giving customers a greater understanding of their policy, um, what is covered and what isn't covered. Um, and if, there, if that clarity isn't there, then we need to improve our policy wordings. And, and I think we need to go back to the basics and properly, you know, because often at, during this time, most policyholders will be opening their policy wording document and, the, and their policy summary for the first time since buying it. And um, a lot of questions, I think, will come on the back of that because it's clear from the press, it's clear from the media that um, a lot of customers think they're covered for something, which they aren't. Um, and those, that, that responsibility sits with us, I'm afraid.
0: Martin, finally.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really tough one. I think particularly around business interruption type covers. Um, you know, some great examples, you know, Wimbledon, for example, took out pandemic insurance and, you know, going to kind of save their balance sheet. But an event like this, you know, there it's it's the same as every single house in the UK being flooded or every single car suddenly being involved in an accident. Trying to sort of solve this, uh, even the government has struggled, obviously, to do this uh a, a, a top-down uh way of supporting business how, how do you support an event of this size and scale um through insurance it is really difficult is this is this a private sector issue is it a public sector issue i don't know <clears throat> but uh, i think the starting point is definitely rightly said is making certain people understand what they're buying the role of brokers and the agents and intermediaries in that process as well but making certain the products that we design are easier to understand, understanding in a sense of you know, what the big major issues are for customers, making certain those key facts and key cover points are, are very well uh, understood at the point of sale uh, all the jargon removed. And uh, to a certain extent, as, as I think Steph said earlier, is making certain that the intricacies are not, uh, uh, you know, on a case by case basis, we're not sort of underwriting or creating a product uh, in a single point uh, of delivery, that there's more harmonized wording so people get a general view from insurer to insurer of what they can expect um, when the, uh, I think that that would be the starting point, education and understanding.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much, uh, Martin and Stephanie, for your time. Uh, I think what is clear is that. We are at a very interesting point uh, in in the future of insurance and the uh, insurance industry might look quite a bit different in perhaps three to six uh, to ten years' time. Uh, this is part of the Expertise in Audio podcast series brought to you by Insurance Post. Um, I say we've already had two in this series and there'll be more in the future, so please look out for them, uh, stay tuned, stay safe, and I'll see you soon. Cheerio. Bye.